The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. I'd like to continue the exploration the past several weeks of the role of, of wisdom and right view, wise view, or as some call wise attitude in our practice. As was uh, pointed to in the sitting, uh, one, one aspect of right view that can be a tremendous support in, in cultivating a skillful relationship to our experience is um, deepening our understanding of conditionality. And part of one of the ways that we can prime our minds, our hearts to um, relate to our experience in uh, in terms of its condition of conditionality and its conditioned nature is um, learning to regard all of our experience as nature, including the mind that is meditating. So we can remind ourselves. Uh, for instance, in, in the midst of noticing that the mind is struggling, we can remind ourselves that the mind has been conditioned to cling. And there's no need to, to try to stop that clinging. That can just be kind of doubling down and adding more aversion to what's already, already arising. But rather the invitation in in this mindfulness practice and the the instructions laid out by the Buddha in the Satipatthana Sutta, the instruction is to simply know it as an object, including the mind's tendency to identify with and take ownership of and uh, try to control what is arising in experience. Simply know no clinging as clinging, no, no aversion as aversion, no delusion as delusion. Oh, you can even use the phrase, of course, oh, of course the mind is clinging. Kind of acknowledges this conditioned, natural aspect of what's arising now. This, these, What's arising now has grown out of seeds that were planted in the past. And how we relate to what is arising now is planting future seeds. That was, that understanding is central to why the Buddha uh, decided to teach, was realizing that we have we have the capacity to 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 orient the conditioning the stream of conditioning of our heart and minds in a direction of greater ease and freedom and release and he laid out the way to do that in the eightfold path understanding that cultivating these wholesome roots of non-greed non-aversion non-delusion will give rise to to present and future 
freedom and happiness and well-being. And when we act out of greed, aversion, and delusion, that that the fruit that 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 bears is more suffering, more greed, more aversion, more delusion. And we can know the arising of clinging or of greed as a natural process that is arising and being known. There can be no problem, even with the mind feeling like it is a problem. This is where we we often get hooked and identify with this aspect of the mind. And yet the invitation is to regard this as, oh, believing that this experience is a problem is what is happening in the mind. This is what is being known now. There can be a letting go, a letting be in the knowing of the grasping without the grasping necessarily disappearing, but it can become an object when our relationship to it shifts from one of identification to one of regarding it as, oh, this is how the mind is is um, playing out right now. This is what the mind is is doing right now. The mind is a process of nature. Wisdom can know delusion. The delusion doesn't necessarily need to disappear to be known with delusion. Just as with any of the five, just as any of the five hindrances in the fourth foundation uh, become objects of meditation, they're only hindrances when they're not when they're not known clearly for, for what they are. And when when there is the perspective that oh, this is the experience that is arising right now. These are the causes and conditions that underlie its arising, and these are the causes and conditions that underlie its falling away. It, it's not a hindrance in that moment. It's, it's an object of, of our meditation. We can see where the mind is trying to find somewhere to land in experience. This is such a deeply, deeply ingrained, deeply conditioned tendency to try to find some stable, solid place in experience to kind of build a home, to build a sense of self, to kind of find some place of refuge in the conditions of experience by getting things comfortable, getting things feeling safe, and we all know that's that's a, a losing battle. Um, how long can we keep things how we want them, how we like them? How long can we keep aging and illness and death at bay? How long can we keep our minds in the in the state that we want them, how long can we even, you know, try to control the thoughts and moods and emotions that are moving through, let alone our bodies? It doesn't go anywhere, but here there can be a refuge in 
the, the relationship of non-clinging to experience, of renunciation of wisdom. So when we are seeing that the mind is trying to, to land somewhere, to get somewhere, to, to do it or get it right, oh, of course, yeah, of course, all of these worlds that the mind creates are just part of the passing show and part of what we are including in the field of what we are observing and learning about. Part of releasing suffering is understanding what causes suffering. As uh, Andrea often says, the mind gets an education. So when we're attending to our experience moment to moment, just in this simple, receptive way, observing what the, uh, the nature of our experience is, the mind starts to learn and starts to get uh, a deep, intuitive education about the nature of experience and what causes stress and suffering and what leads away from stress and suffering. Read from a side adaptation book, When Awareness Becomes Natural. Whatever is happening in the mind, just let it be. The objects have nothing to do with you. They are not personal. The things that you know, they are just happening. Everything that happens in the moment is simply a result of past causes and conditions. Because what you are experiencing now is just a result, it also means that you can't change it because you can't change the past. What you can do in the present moment is act. And your action will be to be mindful and bring in right view. This will mold future events. So this is the work of a yogi. First to bring in right view and then to maintain awareness. Often yogis come to me and say, I'm, I'm stuck in my practice. What should I do? How should I continue? All I need say is have right view and be mindful. Let any experience arise. This is just nature happening. Don't take it personally. We need to observe objectively. And from that, we will learn. A learning process will unfold. That is the whole work of Vipassana or insight meditation, a learning process. You are not trying to control your experience or make it go away. You're not trying to have a good experience or avoid a bad experience. You're just going to see what is happening now and see if you can stay with it. Your only work is to be continually aware. If you are continually aware, then you will see what is continually happening. We have the 
very, very good fortune that our systems naturally orient towards uh, towards release from stress and suffering. Our systems are are naturally orienting towards well-being. And there are these um, very universal and um, kind of deep layers of misunderstanding and misperception um, that are um, hindering the mind's ability to to fully grasp what is, to fully see how stress and suffering are arising. Some of these, uh, th- these three, or um, actually there are four, four they call vivalases or distortions of the mind. Um, and they are, they're, they're the three characteristics plus another. And the three characteristics are impermanence, conditionality, and unreliability, um, or in the Pali, anicca, dukkha, anatta. Anicca meaning inconstancy or impermanence. Dukkha meaning, um, in this context, dukkha points to the an aspect of the nature of conditioned experience, which is that it is unable to provide lasting satisfaction. Not because it's deficient in some way or that there's anything wrong with it. It's just that because it's con- it is impermanent, because it is conditioned and therefore not in our direct control, it is kind of by definition follows naturally from those that it cannot be a, a, a reliable place of happiness. And yet, how how much do we see our minds clinging to specific conditions and experience as if if there will be some some stability, some reliability? You can see this all the time when when the mind is craving something, craving, wanting pleasure, craving, wanting relief from pain. Uh, There's this promise of, ah, then, ah, then there will be relief. Then there will be release without recognizing that it's just, it's endless, it's endless. In the fourth foundation, um, the Buddha encourages us to use the, the various wisdom lenses in the Dharma teachings uh, and bring them to bear on observing our experience. <clears throat> it goes through the five aggregates, knowing our experience as comprised of these natural condition processes, which invites a shifting from a sense of of I and me and mine to knowing the unfolding of nature and these natural processes of form and feeling, perception, volition, consciousness, and knowing the six sense bases. How different is it to to shift from being absorbed into the the story of the drama of, of my life or whatever it is the mind is the mind is constructing and, and 
to knowing that that mind objects are being known, that body sensations are being known, that sights are being known, sounds are being known. And the Four Noble Truths, which includes the Eightfold Path, which is kind of encompasses the whole of the whole of the, the teachings, including the Satipatthana Sutta itself. We can recognize the arising of suffering. We're encouraged to recognize suffering as it is. Stress and its causes. And often its cause, its cause is said to be craving. And craving also has its roots in delusion, in, in not understanding, in ignorance. In the, uh, the teaching on the, the chain of dependent origination, which is how the Buddha describes the process of suffering arising in our experience, the very root of it is ignorance, is not seeing clearly. And what is it that we don't see clearly or don't understand? Most frequently, this is in the in the teachings. This is said to be the three characteristics of impermanence, unreliability, conditionality. This understanding of impermanence is of central importance in the in the development of wisdom and the unfolding of the path. In the, in the Dhammapada, it says that it's better to live 100 years, um, excuse me, better than living 100 years without seeing the arising and passing of things is one day lived seeing their arising and passing. This points to the profound liberative potential of of understanding the the impermanent nature of experience when the mind really really grocks the inconstant fleeting ephemeral nature of experience it it's almost like it oh it doesn't make any sense to try to cling to that that in and of itself can uproot so much of the, 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 the tendency towards, towards clinging, towards stress and suffering. In the Samyutta Nikaya, um, there is, uh, the Buddha says, uh, bhikkhus, when the perception of impermanence is developed and cultivated. It eliminates all sensual lust. It eliminates all lust for existence. It eliminates all ignorance and uproots all conceit, I am. And how, bhikkhus, is the perception of impermanence developed and cultivated such that it eliminates all sensual craving, eliminates all craving for existence, all, and all eliminates all ignorance, 
and uprooting all conceit of I am. Quote, such is form, such its origin, such its passing away. Such is feeling, such is perception. Such are volitional formations, such is consciousness. On and on for, it, it, for all of them. And such is its origin, such is its passing away. This is how the perception of impermanence is developed and cultivated so that it eliminates all sensual lust. It eliminates all lust for existence and eliminates all ignorance, uprooting the conceit I am. He's pointing to the five aggregates. Uh, they're actually, the, trans the, the translation of the term used in the Pali is the five aggregates subject to clinging. So the, the, these are these five areas of experience with which we tend to identify and cling. And by highlighting, by, by understanding and bringing into view the, the impermanent nature of that with which we usually identify, um, the Buddha is saying that this uproots, uproots all craving for sensual experience, uproots all ignorance, and uproots the conceit or the clinging to the sense of self. Uh, Bhikkhu Analyo in, in the book, the Satipatthana, the direct path to realization, um, writes that mere awareness of the various objects listed under the four Satipatthanas might not suffice for the task of developing penetrative insight. What is additionally required is to move on to a comprehensive and equanimous vision of impermanence. Continuity in developing awareness of impermanence is essential if it is to really affect one's mental condition. Sustained contemplation of impermanence leads to a shift in one's normal way of experiencing reality, which hitherto tacitly assumed the temporal stability of the perceiver and the perceived objects. Once both are experienced as changing processes, all notions of stable existence and substantiality vanish, thereby radically reshaping one's paradigm of existence. Contemplation of impermanence has to be comprehensive, for if any aspect of experience is still taken to be permanent, awakening will be impossible. The understanding of impermanence reaches perfection with the realization of full awakening. So the encouragement to cultivate this perception of impermanence is um, really baked into the instructions, is really uh, part of how the instructions are given in the Satipatthana Sutta. Um, again, so that was a different sutta that we read. Um, and in the Satipatthana Sutta, it's phrased, such is material form, such is its arising, such is its passing away. One knows such is feeling, 
such as its arising, such as its passing away. One knows such as perception, such as its arising, such as its passing away. One knows such are mental formations, such their arising, such their passing away. And one knows such is consciousness, such as its arising, such its passing away. So included in, in mental formations is um, mindfulness itself. So when we sit down to, to meditate, we might have the intention to be mindful for 30 minutes or however long we're sitting. And, and, and what happens? The mind wanders off. The mindfulness itself is something, is a, is a, a conditioned mental formation. And we can observe it's arising and passing away. <clears throat> Um, including that mental formations also includes all of the reactions that our minds have to experience. So we're encouraged to cultivate the perception of impermanence with respect to all objects in all of the four foundations. When we begin to see that every aspect of our experience is subject to change, um, that it's continually in flux and coming and going, it begins to undermine the very propensity towards clinging and identification because clinging and craving arise out of the, the view that there is something stable and lasting to which we can grasp or that we can become or that we can land on or that we can have or experience in some kind of lasting way. Yet when our minds start to see that this is actually at odds with the nature of experience. The, the tendency to hold on to any particular experience begins to release. And we begin to find a deeper peace and happiness and freedom, a true and deep well-being, regardless of the particular conditions that are arising in our experience, which are, which are constantly going to be changing and which are or which are entirely out of our control. We can broaden the view, broaden the lens in the cultivation of the perception of impermanence. It's not that we have to try to always put on this perception of impermanence. Perception itself is conditioned and impermanent. So we can know when the mind is perceiving impermanence and we can know when the mind is perceiving is taking things to be solid and stable. And we can see the, the, the changing conditioned nature of that aspect of our experience as well. And in can support the cultivation of the understanding of our experience as being conditioned. <clears throat> experience or um, learning to view our experience as nature. I'm gonna read from Saido Tejaniya again. When we practice Vipassana meditation, 
It is so crucial to have right view. I cannot repeat it enough. It is probably the most important aspect of the practice. Because when we don't have right view, then wrong view is automatically there. Wrong view is delusion. Wrong view is attaching to experience. If we view that we are, if, if we view what we are experiencing as personal, as me, then that is wrong view. So how do we view our experiences in the right way? The mind needs to relate to all experiences in the same way. Think of our experiences as nature. Nature is not personal. Nature is just a process of cause and effect. Nature is not out to get us. Anything we, ex we experience is natural. It is just happening. And the minds that are being aware and reacting to all of that is also just nature. So we're, we can settle back and receive what is naturally arising without needing to try to create or look for anything in particular. Oh, what, what is, what's arising right now? You can use the lenses of the Dharma. Use the lens of the six sense bases. Oh, hearing is arising right now. Oh, the mind objects, thinking is arising right now. Body sensations are arising right now. We can use the lens of the Four Noble Truths, recognizing, oh, this is stress, this is stressful. Perhaps we can feel into or, ident or identify the, the craving that's connected to that stress, that, oh, I want this to be different, that, that craving, that tightening around liking and not liking. can recognize when that when that's released, when there's the wisdom that releases those experiences of craving and we get a taste of, oh, this kind of simple okayness and ease. Our resistance can be known as an object whether the mind is unclear or scattered or foggy can be simply known as an experience. Feeling like we're not doing it right or that we're doing it um, all of these various aspects of experience that we tend to identify with and uh, kind of collapse around without really recognizing them as simply aspects of the mind that are also at play can include them in what it is that we're observing in our, in our meditation practice. So uh, it's in regard to understanding our experience as conditioned, I'll read from Bhikkhu Analyo again in the Satipatthana the book on Satipatthana. The fact that contemplation undertaken in this manner has the sole purpose of enhancing mindfulness and understanding 
points to an important shift away from goal-oriented practice. At this stage, Satipatthana is practiced for its own sake. When this shift in attitude, um, the goal and the act of meditation begin to merge into one, since awareness and understanding are cultivated for the sake of developing ever more awareness and understanding. The practice of Satipatthana becomes an effortless effort, so to speak, divested of goal orientation and expectation. By letting go of all dependencies and cravings during this advanced level of practice, a deepening realization of the empty nature of all phenomena dawns on the meditator. With this state of independence and equipoise, characterized by the absence of any sense of I or mine, the direct path of Satipatthana gradually approaches its culmination. In this balanced state of mind, free from I-making and my-making, the realization of Nibbana can take place. Now this might, some of these uh, descriptions of, of release from suffering, of freedom might sound um, like passive, non-engaged in the world kinds of states or experiences. And yet the Buddha spent the last, uh, what was it, 45 years of his life after reaching awakening, traveling the world and, and teaching to try to help people reduce their suffering and was involved in conflicts in his time tried to stop a, a water war. Um, when, when the mind is not clinging to a sense of self, there isn't, there isn't a, just a passive, indifferent, uh, not caring, unengaged um, kind of way of being that, that arises out of that. Actually, what when the mind is not so... Uh, caught up in in its own reactions and its own greed and aversion, there's so much more room for a really effective response that's rooted in compassion, rooted in kindness, rooted in generosity. That can be much more a much more effective response to what is actually happening in the world. So, wisdom is not wisdom is not. Um, I think it's easy to, it's, it's common for people to fear that, well, if I'm not worried about this or angry about this, then I'll, then I won't act. I won't do what needs to be done. And yet wisdom and compassion can be very powerful motivators for action. And we can really tend to our lives in the world in really profoundly effective ways. Um, in much more effective ways than when we are uh, driven by our habitual reactivity. And so through this really simple, receptive awareness of what is happening in our experience, we begin to understand how stress and suffering are created. And thankfully, because our systems are naturally oriented towards well-being and ease, 
with this clearer information about what actually causes stress and suffering and what actually leads away to it, those patterns are naturally released. I offer these reflections for your contemplation. Thank you very much for your practice. We have a few minutes if there are comments or questions. I have a question. Yes, hi. Hi. I just want to thank you so very much for your Dharma talks. They're very helpful, very helping, helping my practice very, very much. Um, I have a question about working with deeply unpleasant sensations, the physical sensations. And um, so last night as I was sitting, I experienced um, very strong restlessness. And um, because I was sitting with a friend, I didn't want to disturb um, their, uh, their sitting, so I, I just kept sitting. And um, I, I noticed that there was reaction, you know, strong reactivity, strong aversion. And uh, I, what I did was opening the, you know, uh, opening their eyes and look around, um, so I don't have to keep being with that unpleasant, with that reactivity mostly. Um, and I, you know, I, I watch the mind, um, what the stories that the mind is telling itself. Um, but I remember Sadar said not to feed aversion. By, so I thought maybe I could just get up and do some stretching and then go back to sitting. So what would you say? Is, is it, is there another way to, to, to deal with, a, a, a skillful way to deal with, um, with physical, um, unpleasant physical sensations? Um, not to react to, I, so, when you when when does non-reactivity means not taking any action towards against it? What does that mean? Non-reactivity. Great. Yeah. Thanks. That's a that's a great question. Um, so the non-reactivity doesn't doesn't mean not not taking action or not responding. It 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 non-reactivity points to the possibility of not. Um, contracting into uh, aversion or or greed in response to what's arising. So non-reactivity is, is the invitation to um, kind of receiving experience, letting experience be okay, and, but also knowing what is really appropriate and what's really supportive. So it sounds like you, there was some sense that um, that the the discomfort was so 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 strong, it was so big that it was overwhelming the capacity to to simply be with and know it with with some balance. Um, 
And then it sounds like it's actually, yeah, there's a lot of wisdom that you're that you're pointing to and being able to discern that um, actually maybe right now, just trying to be with this and know this is not the most supportive thing. The mind is not, it's, um, it's, it's too, it's overwhelming the capacity for that right now. And so maybe getting up and, and stretching a little bit, uh, like you said, uh, or shifting. And like you said, opening the eyes, those all sound like really skillful responses. Um, yeah. So there's, there's no need to, it's not helpful to try to, force yourself to stay with something when when there's not the level of um uh, like balance or resource in the body and mind uh to be with it in a balanced way if you're yeah if you're just if it's just adding more struggle to try to be with it then it sounds really skillful just to to shift yeah to shift like you like you had intuited yeah so and that that's not a that's not necessarily a reactivity. That can be wise discernment that um, oh, this is what's what's really supportive right now. What will support this the mind to orient in a more skillful direction is to oh, compassionately shift. Um, and yeah, yeah, that sounds great. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. <laughs>